This is an ABC podcast. Another day, another data hack. Actually, same data hack, it's just getting a lot more intense. G'day, Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. This is the good hack. And yeah, we had the Optus breach. Now Medibank's been targeted. Millions of Australians face having their personal data, including medical information, exposed. How is this happening? And if companies are not paying ransoms, which is what's being asked, what should they be doing? Also, Dylan Alcott, Australian of the Year, he's launched a groundbreaking new website today and he's coming on to tell us all about it. First, though. Hack. What we're seeing here is bias seeping into the law faculty and being obviously demonstrated in the assessments that are set. On Triple J. Imagine this, you're at uni, it's coming up to the end of semester, things are piling up and you've got a huge take-home exam to get through. It's worth 50%, so you're actually pretty stressed about it. You start reading the hypothetical scenario and hold on, one of the characters has the same name as you. You keep reading and then you realise that character is politically conservative, just like you. But then it gets weird. The character with the same name kills a left-wing person, potentially gives someone else HIV and eventually ends up dying. That's the plot of a Sydney University law exam that students have been asked to complete. And one of the students is convinced that her name has been used on purpose and that she's being trolled for her conservative political beliefs. She's also questioning why this uni exam is so political in the first place. We're going to hear from her in a bit, but first, here's Ellie Grounds to explain what's happened. For most of us who've done a uni exam with one of those long, annoying problem-solving questions that involves lots of facts and a bunch of different characters, the scenarios are usually pretty mundane. Jack loans Jill counterfeit cash and she gets caught while spending it. Ron borrows his friend Hermione's faulty car and crashes it into a tree. Radio presenter Dave spills water all over his studio panel at work and breaks it. Who is responsible? Those were the kinds of things that came up in exams when I was studying law at uni. The characters had names, but they didn't have huge personalities or backstories. But the scenario in a criminal law take-home exam that Sydney Uni law students are doing this week is pretty elaborate and it's causing some controversy. First, a left-wing guy called Adam and a right-wing guy called Daniel get into a huge biff because Daniel doesn't recycle. He screams, and you can f*** the f*** off, you woke prick, before ripping Adam's face mask off and throwing it on the ground. Adam pushes Daniel in the chest. The push is not hard, but Daniel is caught by surprise and he topples over and hits his head. Left-wing Adam then legs it and gets run over by Daniel's mate Freya, who's also meant to be right-wing. Freya puts her foot on the accelerator, not the brake. I'll give that Chardonnay socialist a fright, she thinks, but she does more than give Adam a fright. He's clipped by Freya's car. He falls, smashes his head on the ground and dies instantly. As Freya speeds away from the scene, she hears her phone beep. It's a text message from Daniel, which reads simply, great job, winky face, one less illiberal liberal. Freya and Daniel then meet up. He kisses her and tells her he's no longer with another girl called Nicola, which is a total lie. They're actually engaged. The question then says, Freya and Daniel then have penile vaginal sex. Freya knows that she is HIV positive, but she does not disclose this to Daniel, who fails to wear a condom during sex with Freya. The fiancé Nicola then rocks up, drunk after a work lunch, and gets into a fight with Freya, which turns deadly. Nicola pushes Freya out of the window, 
Freya dies almost as soon as she hits the ground. It might sound dramatic, but some of those facts, including the HIV thing, are pretty standard for a criminal responsibility exam. They're designed to make students bring up things like provocation, grievous bodily harm, and if you can use intoxication as a defence. Yesterday, a law student called Freya complained to Sydney Uni, saying the paper was clearly intended to depict her. She reckons because she's on the uni's conservative club executive and is involved with the New South Wales Liberal Party, the right-wing Freya in the exam is based on her. She also says other people in a uni shoot share names with characters in the question. But Sydney Uni says the Freya character is fictional and was in no way meant to reference or depict a real-life person. And that three of the six names in the question are shared by students in a class of 28, but that's entirely a coincidence. The uni told Hack the name Freya has been used in exams and questions written by the same person before, and the author didn't know the real-life Freya or anything about her political views. Sydney Uni says it's apologised to Freya and the other students, and will make sure the names of current students aren't used in any crim law assessments in the future. Hack on Triple J. Ellie Grounds with that story. Some comments on the text line. Someone says, what the hell sort of exam is this? Why is it so graphic and what's the actual question? And James says, is it targeting or is it paranoia? Let's ask. Let's get into this a bit more because there is a bit more to it. Freya Leach, the student at the centre of all of this, is with us now. Hey, Freya, thanks for coming on Hack. Thank you for having me. The first question, regardless of whether people think this was about you, whether it wasn't about you... The question is so bizarre. I'm I'm wondering, are all of your assignment questions at the University of Sydney this wild? (laughs) You know, that is a very good question. And that's ultimately what is at the heart of this issue here. It's not about whether it really was my name or not. It may have been a coincidence. It may not have been. But what is really concerning is the content of the question. You could have left out any reference to politics whatsoever and the question would have still made sense. And so I think it just shows that there is a really biased politicisation of the law faculty, not everyone, but clearly enough to create an exam that is quite biased. So what was your response when you first read the question? I mean, honestly, I think I was just in shock. I actually didn't read the question when it first came out. It first came out on Friday and I I received probably between 20 to 30 messages from people in my class, in my cohort and from other faculties asking me if I'd seen the question, if I was okay, how I was feeling. And it wasn't till I actually opened the exam on Saturday afternoon that I saw the question and to say I was shocked is an understatement. The thing that I want to know, though, is why do you think it's about you in the sense that Freya is not the most common name, but I know a few Freyas. I know three Freyas, I'd say four now that I've met you. Why do you think this question was written about you? Well, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what my 400 peers doing criminal law think. And they all made the connection. I wouldn't have received tens of messages if it weren't for people instantly making that connection between the Freya portrayed in the exam and myself. And so, but ultimately, it's less about whether it really was me or not. It's more about the content of the exam, as you said earlier. And that is what is really concerning here. With the question removed, has there been other stuff that's been happening? Look, never from the faculty. 
I have had an extremely positive experience of law at Sydney University, which is why I was so taken aback by this question. But more broadly on campus, as I'm sure you're aware, Sydney University can get quite heated uh, politically. And so I think just four weeks ago, there was industrial action um, at the university and members of the socialist alternative uh, Zoom bombed our class and basically started screaming at us for 20 minutes about how we were breaking the strike by continuing to hold a class online and how we're all scabs. And it was when I spoke up that they called me a parasite, told my class to ostracize me um, and and basically hurled abuse towards me. I mean, but, you know, it would be hard to draw a link with that to the question, which Mm. is written by a member of the faculty. Do you know who wrote the question? No, no. And again, that is really secondary. What is at issue here is, is not necessarily whether it was my name or not, because it may have been a coincidence as the university claims, or it may not have given the circumstances of the question. But that is actually secondary to the primary issue, which is the politicisation of exams and the one-sided narrative that's being portrayed. Every single character in the problem question that was right-wing was vilified. I, my character was portrayed as this murderous person who went and had unprotected sex with someone, gave them HIV and was then chucked off a building to my death. The other right-wing person in the question was portrayed as someone who sexually assaulted me and then was complicit in my murder. So I think it is the symbolism and, and what it, this is actually saying about right of centre people that is more concerning, whether or not they use my name, what this issue actually highlights is what is going on in UCID law. So to be clear, you're a member of the Conservative Club and the Young Liberals. I am. Have there been other questions in the past that have also taken a really political view here and pitted left against right? Mm. Look, this is why I'm so concerned, because they have. The question last year, the the whole question centred around a radio presenter called Ron Hogan who ran 2ZB Radio, a more conservative commentator, and he was portrayed in this problem question as a drunkard who sexually assaulted his female staff member and when he was murdered, the other people in the problem question celebrated this fact. And so this question that we've seen in this exam this year that supposedly relates to my name This is just the tip of the iceberg. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with University of Sydney student Freya Leach about a controversial assignment question which she says shamed her, used her name on purpose to ridicule her political beliefs. Freya, what's the uni said to you? They have apologised, but I think that's not enough. I think what we're seeing here is is bias seeping into the law faculty and being obviously demonstrated in the assessments that are set for law students. And so I think what we need is some sort of an assurance that this level of political bias will not be tolerated at the Sydney University Law School and law exams will not be politicised for brownie point scoring. Why is UCID law so politicised? And whether it was a coincidence or not, it has had a very severe and distressing 
impact on myself, my own well-being and my reputation among my peers. So the damage has already been done. This is not about intentions. This is about outcomes and the outcome has been negative. And, and I think everyone recognises that. And that's why I've had people from all different political persuasions reaching out and, and wanting to make sure I'm okay. Well, uh, it's definitely one that's got a lot of people talking. We appreciate you speaking with us, University of Sydney student Freya Leach. Thanks for joining us on Hack. Thank you. Hack. On Triple J. We've got a lot of messages coming through on the text line. Someone says, free speech, except for when it affects me or my beliefs. Come on. Another person says, your girl has a point in that there shouldn't be any reference to politics. Another, law is political. You cannot say law is ever not political. And someone else says, I'd say adding people's political views in a law exam could be to see if they can throw students off with that kind of information, regardless of if it's relevant or not. It happens all the time. And look, we're hearing the University of Sydney's Law School has actually just announced that it's putting out a replacement exam now. That exam's going to be completed by students later this month. Hack. The cyber hacking crisis at Medibank is deepening, with the private health insurer confirming that customer files have been released on the dark web. On Triple J. You know, it wasn't long ago we were talking about the Optus hack a data breach which exposed thousands of Australians' personal information. Now it's Medibank Private, one of Australia's biggest private health insurers. Criminals demanding a ransom before starting to release customer data on the dark web, names, addresses, dates of birth, some health claims data. And Medibank's warning more data will probably be released. Almost 10 million current and former customers have been affected and they're being urged to be on high alert. So is this gonna keep happening? How worried should we be? Let's ask an expert. Nigel Fair's a cybersecurity expert. He's with UNSW and he's with us now. G'day, Nigel. Thanks so much for coming on Hack. G'day, Dave. So many people are caught up in this. Even the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has confirmed that he's a customer. What's the end goal of these criminals, do you think, who are stealing this data? Yeah, well, the, the one and only goal is to make money. They've missed out on that through the ransomware with many banks saying they're not going to pay the ransomware. So now they said they're going to drip feed the data to try and get them to change their minds. I don't think that'll work. So they need to think of other ways to monetize it. Is there any way to know who is responsible or where they may be located? Like, I know that we've got so many resources working on this. The FBI is helping Australian authorities out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, they, they should know who the criminal actor or actors are, the groups behind this, and that should really be based on what we call threat intelligence. And that is the, the little remnants of data in and around, you know, the way things are written, the IP addresses, the sort of tools used, a whole lot of things like that. Once they share it among international partners to see if they've seen any of those clues before, they should get an idea of who the group is and, and where they're situated. Is it likely that those responsible are actually going to use this data for identity fraud or do you think they're just using it as leverage at the moment? I think at the moment it's just leverage. Because we don't know who the group is behind it, we don't know if they have the capability to do identity takeover and fraud or indeed if they just sell it to another group that is more adept to doing that. I'm wondering as well whether it's likely that individual customers will be hit up because at the moment we're hearing, you know, uh, ransom requests and demands being made to Medibank, but can people expect if they're customers that they might be getting a call um, asked for money personally? Well, that could certainly be the case, but that's really resource intensive. 
uh, going through um, the people, firstly. And secondly, you start giving up a little bit more about yourself when you start saying, we need this sort of information. You start contacting them, whether it's via email or WhatsApp or some other type of messaging service. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with cybersecurity expert Nigel Fair about this Medibank data hack. It's really concerning. A lot of people are very worried about this. Nigel, do you reckon we're just going to keep seeing this happen? Like we saw Optus, we're seeing Medibank. Is this just going to be a thing that cyber criminals realise that maybe they can do this and so they're going to keep doing it? Unfortunately, Dave, you're right. It's We've had lots of data breaches in the past. We're going to have, unfortunately, a lot more into the future. And until um, small, medium and, and large corporates wake up to what it means to participate in the online environment, understand what it means to collect our personally identifying information and put the appropriate controls around the collection, use and dissemination of it, it's going to just keep on happening. And what needs, you, you mentioned a few things there about what companies can do to stop it, but do you think the government's been doing enough? Like has, they've been talking a bit tough on this and saying it's unacceptable, but in terms of, you know, um, penalties for companies and all the rest of it, is that where we need to see some action? Absolutely. So we have a thing called the Notifiable Data Breach Scheme, and that's been around for four years. And that provides the Privacy Commissioner with fines around the $2.2 million mark for corporates. And in that last four years, the Privacy Commission has not used any of those fines. So it's great to increase the fines, but I'd like to see the current penalty regime being used and see if there's any um, demonstrable change there first. Right. Well, it's interesting stuff. We're definitely going to be hearing a lot more about it. And, you know, people will be want to um, stay in track of this, kept, kept up to date. And we appreciate your insight. Cybersecurity expert Nigel Fair, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Thanks, Dave. And the Australian Federal Police is telling people if you are contacted by someone, you should contact police through Report Cyber. If a person uh, contacts you online, by phone or by text message threatening to release your data, you shouldn't feel embarrassed. You should let police know immediately. And Medibank's boss has also apologised. We've got a message here from Brad in Lismore who says... Are they going to have to change their name now to Medibank Public? Hack. There are 4.5 million people with disability in this country. Physical, non-physical, visible, invisible. But only 500,000 on the NDIS. On Triple J. You know, I reckon there's probably not many people loved as much by Australians and Triple J listeners specifically as Dylan Alcott. He's not only a global sporting superstar champion, he's also a passionate disability advocate and Australian of the Year. He's also Australian of the Year, guys. And he's not wasting the opportunity. Dylan's out there using his time in the role to push for something he cares a lot about, and that's helping Australians with disability find work. He's launched a new platform today to make this process a lot easier. It's called The Field, and Dylan Alcott is with us now to talk about it. Hey, Dylan, always good to have you back on Triple J. G'day, Dave, mate. You forgot one part of that introduction. Co-host with you. Oh. You and I used to co Mate, you, you, well, you've got to talk about that, mate. You're the reason all this happened, all right? We used to do breakfast together. Yeah, that's so right. I reckon, that. I reckon those news headlines I did with you that time really catapulted you to Australian of the Year. And, you know, look out. Who knows what's next for you after speaking to me today. Dylan, how hard is it for Australians with disability to find work at the moment? Well, look, there's a massive worker shortage there, and I always hear about that. And there are 4.5 million people in this country with some form of physical or non-physical disability, visible or invisible. And only, excuse me, 55% of them uh, can find work. Now, that participation rate has not changed 
in 28 years, Dave. Wow. And I'm 31 years old, right? Also, there are 500,000 people with disability currently actively looking for work who can't find it. Yet we have that worker shortage. And the reason for that is, you know, often, you know, job sites, but also the whole process of employment isn't accessible and inclusive of of people with disability. And, and that's why we launched the field today to try and help rectify that. We're going to get into what the field is in a minute, kind of explain how it all works. I want to know though, what do you think it is about employing people with disability, why it's not seen as totally mainstream across the country? Because I've heard you speak about this before and living with disability is not some niche little thing. So many Australians, that's their experience, right? Mate, we work together, right? I'm in a wheelchair. Could I do the job? Of course I could. You yeah. know, you just got to move the chair out of the way and I talk into a microphone. And and look, I think one of the things is there is low expectation of what people think we can do. People think that we can't do a job as well as an able-bodied person or it's going to be too hard or employers might get it wrong, right? And then if they get it wrong, they think they're going to get in trouble or that's a bad thing. You might get it wrong, but that's just like hiring anybody. You know what I mean? And I think it's about changing that perception, but also like there are 4.5 million people, as I said, with disability in this country. And what are we? We're consumers just like you who want to go to the shops, who want to, you know, go on the internet, who want to bank, who want to travel, who want to do all these things. Yet your workforce should reflect your customer base, correct? And if one in five of your customers are with disability, well, then you should reflect that in the people that you employ. And often it's just not happening in the case of people with disability. And, and, you know, it's because of unconscious biases from the past, mate, that have been there for a long time and things like that. And that takes time to change. But we need to do that together. We all need to do that and the time to do it because we have that, you know, worker shortages right now. Before you were the Dylan Orcott, like people know you from your sports successes, from radio maybe, before you were all of that, did you ever face discrimination in the workplace? Mate, I still do sometimes, <laughs> even though, you know, that you are doing the things that we're doing. What, what I will say is I went to a job interview. I'm very lucky, mate, that I got a job, you know, a few jobs. I'm very lucky. And I remember I went to a job interview when I was just in university. It was to be a brand manager for a company within university, <clears throat> not for university, but to represent that brand at it. And I went for this job interview. I didn't tell them I was in a wheelchair because if I did, I wouldn't have got the job interview. I turned up in a wheelchair. Um, the job interview was upstairs and they came down and said, oh, well, you're in a wheelchair. You didn't tell us. I said, that's all right. Can we just move the job interview downstairs? And rather than do that, they just cancelled it nice. in front of my face. Now, this happens every day to hundreds of people that are looking for work as soon as they disclose that they have a disability. And that sucks. Like, I can hear your voice drop straight away, right? That is happening all the time. And we want to change that. And, you know, we're not here to, you know, call out and complain. It's about doing it together and showcasing and giving people the opportunity they deserve to have the choice to work. Because not everybody with disability can work, right? And that's okay because your, your worth is not tied to having a job. But for the people that can work, they deserve the choice to work because the best part about work is not even just the financial security. It's the social aspect of it, mate, yeah. getting out, having a purpose, getting out there and doing things. And we want more people to have that opportunity. Well, let's get into the field, this platform that you've launched today. How does it work? So it's a job site just like, you know, any other job site, but we're a little bit different. It is made by people with disability, built by people with disability, for people with disability. So inclusive employers can match with candidates with disability and get involved in that employment exchange together. The big difference between our side is accessibility and inclusion is at the absolute heart and has been across every single step. So the development, the, the design, the implementation, 
absolutely everything. And like we've got some really cool features that other sites, you know, wouldn't have. For example, you know, people with disability might want to have flexible resumes. Some people might want to do a video resume. They want to use text. They might want to talk, depending on the disability. You can do that on the field. You can also do, um, you can have flexible uh, interview processes, whatever works for you. But one of the cool things that we develop, people much smarter than me, by the way, because I'm not a tech guru, <laughs> we've got AI intelligent technology built into it. So a person with disability, right, they can write their accessibility preferences or the features they need into their profile and then say, Triple J, who's going to hire someone with a disability, you can put the accessibility features you have within the workplace and there's a blind algorithm that matches together, right? So then when you go for that job interview, one, you both can do it together. Yeah. The accessibility features work. But secondly, you can just talk about yourself. You know what I mean? You can talk about your purpose. You can talk about your skill set, whatever it is. You don't have to worry about always talking about your disability. You can mention if you want, but it's already there. Um, and we just want to level the playing field. So more people with disability can match with inclusive employers because the two questions I get asked the most by this in, in terms of employment is employers go, Dylan, I want to hire, you know, a radio host or a barista or whatever with disability. Where do I find them? And people with disability go, I've got four degrees. I've studied, I'm ready to work, but I can't find anyone who wants to employ me. Well, this, we wanted to create a home for that. And Hopefully we've done that by the field. I've got some messages coming through. Someone says, does it include people with mental health issues as well? Does that is that included in the platform? For sure. If you have a mental health struggle or mental illness, you know, that that gives you a disability, get on there. You know what I mean? And, and one of the cool things about it as well is, you know what you're getting when you come to the field because everybody on there is going to have a disability, right? There are enough sites for everybody people to go, we don't want you. You know what I mean? This is this is our this is our home and our community. So yeah, get on there, make a profile, and and we really hope we can help people find you know meaningful employment that they want to do. And I reckon employers are probably super keen on this, right? Like they've you've probably been speaking to all sides, and they're probably been hoping for something that makes it easier for them to make this process work. Is that right? Yeah, I think we had just under 100 jobs on there this morning before we launched. We've now got over 300 and over 100 different employers. Yeah, wow. Of course, that you know, yeah, what I mean? but also. If you are really accessible and you are really inclusive, as an employer, where can you showcase that? Nowhere, right? On this, on the field, you can. And one way you can do that is you can actually do like a virtual tour by videoing your workplace and put it into your profile. So when people go on there with disability, they can see if it suits them, you know what I mean? To give them a first-hand opportunity to see what it looks like and things like that. And look, we're just started. So whether you're a small, medium, big corporation, Chuck your jobs on there. If you're a person with disability who wants to have a crack in employment, put make a profile and have a go. But also, we're learning as well, and this is community built. So if you've got any suggestions of way to make it better, hit us up. You know what I mean? Because we want to work with absolutely everybody to make sure that it, you know, it's a great experience for everybody and that lived experience of people with disabilities listen to. On the text line, someone says, I work in disability support. So many of my participants just need to be given a chance and they'll surprise you. Another person says, Mr. Alcott, you effing legend. We love you. We've got a lot of messages like that on the text <laughs> line right now. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking to Australian of the Year, Dylan Alcott, about helping people with disability find work. Also, Dil, want to ask you, Australian of the Year, we can't even imagine what this last year's been like for you. Do you look back on it and go, what What has all of this been? <laughs> Man, I still can't believe I'm Australian of the Year. Yeah. I'm still that guy sitting next to you just doing stupid radio gags. You know what I mean? Like, in my own head. Well, you're not actually you're the Australian of the Year. I hate to be the champion. I'm still that guy that just got bullied about his disability and all that and just wanted to see greater representation on my screens, on my radios. 
you know, on the sporting field, in our workplaces of people with disability. I can't believe it happened, mate. And the biggest change is, apart from the fact we're getting like 200 speaking requests every day of people right. wanting to learn about disability. Like, that's incredible all across the country. But also, it's just everyone in the street that comes up and says g'day. I'm talking like everyone that I walk past comes up and says g'day and congrats. That's pretty cool, mate. And I'm very grateful. But, you know, the day before and the day after I was Australian of the Year, I'm the same Dylan. It, it, it's cool, but it didn't change my purpose. It didn't change me. And I'll keep doing this. You know, when I hand the baton on to that lucky person that gets it in, you know, two months' time. Is there a lot of pressure, though, like being Australian of the Year? It's a huge platform. It's a limited amount of time. You look at what other people have done before you. Are you like, whoa, got to do stuff? Like, is there pressure uh, from that point of view? Yeah, people often always ask that expectation to achieve the things you want to do. You can have a goal to achieve a lot of things, but you can't have any expectation because I can't control it. All I can do is just be myself, right? I know that sounds pretty cliche, but it is true, mate. And, you know, there must be a reason why we were like, and it's not me, we won this. Anybody that shared my story, listened to me on Triple J, all the people with disability that came before me so I can be the person that I am, that's the reason I'm Australian of the Year. Not because I want to, you know, because of what I'm doing. It's, it's been a team effort and um, I've just gone out there and just tried to do my best. I don't know everything about disability. I don't claim to. There are much smarter people out there who know a lot more than me, but I'm just trying to do it the best that I can, mate. And, and even just coming on here and talking to a friend about something that I'm passionate about is, is really cool. Uh, we're so stoked to speak with you. Got messages coming through. Someone says, I'm an employer interested in the field. I can't find it. any links online. What's the website? Just quickly, do. Yeah, www.thefield.jobs. Really, really simple. So make sure you check it out. Tell your friends, tell absolutely everybody because we want to get everybody on there. Got another person, recruiter here, super keen to get involved. Um, another person, all caught for PM. So many people, you weapon, Dylan, all the usual <laughs> stuff. Hey, Dylan, we've got a... We've got to wrap up the show now, and I don't know whether you remember how to wrap up the show, but we kind of we throw to Bridget, you know. We've got to check what's on Good Nights. Maybe, maybe you could do it. You could just check. Is that the Queen? Is the Queen Bridget on? Can she hear me right now? Is she with us? She is. <laughs> hey, Bridget. Throw to me, Dill. What have I got coming up? Oh, I got to throw to Bridget. I don't know what you got coming up, but you guys got... don't tune. I know that. <laughs> I've got Flume coming up. Yay! Great chat, yes. guys. <laughs> Thanks, Bridget. Thanks, Dill. Hack on Triple J.